0: Hello and welcome to Vermont Untapped, a podcast from the Vermont Folklife Center that explores the state through the voices of its own residents. I'm Mary Wesley. It's Halloween, and that means it's time for this year's Vermont Untapped Spooky Halloween Special. It's become an October tradition here at the VFC to share with our listeners some spooky tales to mark this time of year when the veil between worlds becomes thin. This year, We are most delighted to share that we worked in concert with our friends at Vermont Public Radio to put forth a call to all Vermonters, beseeching them, imploring them to honor us with their most abominably hideous, their Their most most profoundly profoundly soul-chilling, their most unspeakably terrifying ghostly encounters and supernatural sightings thus, we received many an account of horrific local lore, and dear listeners, we will shortly present you with a small selection of these monstrous tales. Let us say a sampling of those accounts we deem safe enough to present to the general public, lest we bring about mass panic, unbridled terror, and mindless frothing despair. And with that out of the way, many thanks to VPR reporter Anna Van Dyne for her production support and collaboration on this project. You can also hear some of these stories on VPR's daily news podcast, The Frequency, which Anna co-hosts. All the submitted stories will be added to the VFC archive. And so, treat this as your final warning your final opportunity to spare yourself from gibbering, quaking, Quaking, nightmarish horror, your last chance to turn back, download some heartwarming Heartwarming episodes episodes of StoryCorps, and remain unscathed by the looming denizens of the dark. For those of you still with us, we suggest you turn off the lights, put a candle in your jack-o'-lantern, and settle in for some great stories. Our first tale comes from Susanna Blatchley of Callis and takes place mostly in the town of Lincoln.
1: It started in the early 70s. Um, my mother and her sister decided to purchase property in Lincoln so that my aunt and her kids, who were grown, would have a place to get away to because they lived in the city. So they purchased this beautiful piece of property, this big hay field. Um, with a beautiful view of Mount Abe. And um, the first summer we owned the property, my cousin Margo came to camp out with a good friend of hers, and um, they pitched a tent next to the this old cellar hole, and they smoked a joint before they went to bed, and then they crawled into their sleeping bags. And in the middle of the night, Margo woke up, and she couldn't get back to sleep. So she left the tent and just went to go outside and look at the stars, and she saw this white light off in the distance at the far corner of the meadow, and she watched it because it seemed to be moving, and the closer it got, the more she could see that it was actually a person, and her description was that it was a, a looked like a very young woman wearing a long, old-fashioned-looking dress. She had very pale skin, pale hair, and she was carrying a lantern. And the figure just walked very slowly across the meadow and then disappeared into the woods. So Margot wasn't sure what to make of that. It looked like a ghost, but she wasn't sure. And so they left the next day to go back home. And she told her family the story. And they all didn't believe it because they knew she'd been smoking and thought she was seeing things. And so the whole thing was totally forgotten. A couple years later, we had built the house, this little house with an open floor plan, and it had a ground floor bedroom with two sliding glass doors and two twin beds. And um, my cousin Margo's um, brother, Chris, and his friend Bumper came to stay in the house for the first time, and they spent the night in the first floor bedroom. And Chris woke up in the middle of the night, and opens his eyes and looks out the sliding glass doors and he sees a white light way off in the distance. And he keeps watching it because it seems to be moving. It gets closer and closer and he starts to realize that it's actually a person. And he sees this young woman with a long white old fashioned looking dress and pale skin and pale hair carrying a lantern. She comes up to the house, comes through the glass doors, which are closed, and stands at the foot of Chris's bed. He's terrified and speechless, and she just stares at him with what he described as with longing, with something like love. And this seemed to go on for quite a while, and he tried to wake up his friend Bumper, but Bumper was sound asleep. And eventually, the young woman moves across the room and disappears into the closet. So, Chris did not sleep a wink. And the next morning, he told Bumper the story of what he'd seen. And it turns out Bumper was terrified of ghosts. And Bumper packed his things and took off down the road and never returned to Lincoln. (laughs) And Chris went home and told his family the story, and they all realized that it exactly matched the person who Margot had seen two years previous. And that's when they realized that we seem to have a ghost at the house in Lincoln. A few years later, again, it's kind of forgotten about, and um, Chris is living up in Burlington and he's at a bar on Church Street with his girlfriend Anna and they're just sitting in a booth sipping beer when Anna suddenly goes totally pale stares at Chris and says who was that? Chris said what are you talking about? That woman who kissed you on the cheek who was that? Um, There was no woman who kissed me on the cheek what are you talking about? There was a woman who kissed you on the cheek. She was wearing, like, it looked like a costume, this long white dress, and she was really pale, and she kissed you on the cheek. And Chris realized in that moment that she fit the same description of the woman who had been seen twice before. Apparently, she had traveled all the way from Lincoln (laughs) and came to... Maybe give her parting kiss, because she was never seen again.
0: Susanna's mother, a historian, did some research on the Lincoln property. She discovered that there had been a young woman, around 16 years old, who had lived there many years before, and died a mysterious death. Tony Campos of Barrie told this story.
2: In 1982, I rented a farmhouse in East Calais with two other roommates. And I was the first one to move in. My other two roommates were gonna move in a couple days later. Well, the first night I was there, I opened all the windows, it was summertime, and a storm came over the mountain. And all of a sudden, all the windows in the farmhouse slammed shut and the door. I figure it was the barometer dropping the pressure. But I said, I'm going to go to bed anyways. So I went to bed. About four or five months later, my roommate Dave and I were playing a video game in the living room. And I said, I'm going to bed. I lived upstairs. David lived downstairs. So I went upstairs, and I came downstairs just to brush my teeth, and the lights were off. I thought David was sitting in the rocking chair, looking out the window. I said, Dave, i just brushing my teeth. Have a good night. Come out of the bathroom. Dave comes out of his bedroom. He goes, who are you talking to? I go, Dave, weren't you just sitting in the rocking chair? He goes, no, I went to bed. I go, ah, forget it. I was seeing things. So I went to bed. In the middle of the night, I wake up. And I could feel somebody or something walking up the stairs and when i opened my eyes and looked at my doorway there was a woman standing there in an old dress and she was mad i was scared i just i froze i couldn't say a, i couldn't say a word and i put my head underneath the covers and i'm like i'm going to die Next morning, I wake up, didn't say a word. Our landlords lived in New York City, and they had the farmhouse across the street from us, and they invited us over for dinner. And so we're all sitting around the dining room table, and I said, Something weird happened to me a couple of months ago. And the landlord, she goes, You saw her? I go, Her? She goes, Did you see her? I go, how you know it's a her? She goes, Did you see her? I go, she was in the doorway and she was mad. So the landlord tells me when the farmhouse was originally built, they had a kitchen, they had a fireplace in the kitchen. And this young girl, her dress caught on fire and she burned to death in the kitchen. And she's never left the farmhouse.
0: This next story is told by Liz Schick of Essex Junction. Soon after moving to Vermont with her husband Larry, Larry's sister invited them across the lake for a ski trip near Whiteface Mountain in the Adirondacks. They'd rented a house for everyone to share.
3: They invited us to come up for the weekend and gave us the master bedroom on the second floor, which was really a beautiful, big, beautiful front room overlooking the this gorgeous tree and any, they hadn't used the, they didn't want to heat the second floor and pay for the heat, so nobody had used that bedroom. So we had it and they were sleeping downstairs. Somewhere in the middle of the first night after we got there, late Friday night, my husband shook me awake and he was very upset and he was not the kind of guy that got very upset. And he kept saying, we have to get out of this room, we have to leave right now, we have to go. And he was out of bed and he was putting on his clothes, and I'm going, wait a minute, what are are you talking about? Did you have a bad dream? And and he said, no, no, it wasn't a dream. He says, there was a woman right here in the room, and she was telling me to get out of her bedroom. I shouldn't be here, she didn't want me here. And he said, I'm going. I said, well, I didn't hear anything. Nobody woke me up, and I, I guess I did look around the room. And, of course, there wasn't anything. But he was so absolutely adamant. He just grabbed the bedspread and went downstairs and spent the night in the kitchen, sitting sitting at the t- kitchen table. So in the morning, when everybody got up, <laughs> here, here he was. And I get maybe I was too, I don't remember. But here he was sitting at the kitchen table trying to explain why he hadn't slept all night, why he sat in the kitchen all night. And of course, everybody laughed, but I have to say Judy knew her brother, and she knew he wasn't the kind that was given to flights of fancy or bad dreams. And and he was really shaken. So she said, Well, what the heck? I'll call the owner, the guy we rented the house from and um, he came over later in the day after skiing and he said well he had just bought the house that year and mainly as a ski rental house he hadn't lived in it and he was just using it to rent and he said but he was told that the man who owned the house number of years before the bank foreclosed on it and he bought it from the bank, um, the guy had murdered his wife and he (laughs) murdered her not in the bedroom but in the front yard by this tree and you could see that tree from the bedroom window so my husband was absolutely convinced that explained why she didn't wanna have some man, some strange man in what probably was her bedroom. And so as far as he was concerned, that was it. We did come back to ski, but we slept downstairs in the living room. He never would go up to the second floor again. And as far as I know, nobody else went up to the second floor and stayed in the bedroom either. And I never doubted my husband's second sight or his ability to have ESP, you know. It was creepy.
0: Liz's husband, Larry, who saw this ghost, died of a stroke on December 29th, 2020. Thank you, Liz, for carrying on this story. Our last tale today comes from Jerry Rosenberg of Mount Holly.
4: It was the summer of 1968. I was a camper at Timberlake, one of the farm and wilderness camps in Plymouth. Uh, Campers do a lot of hiking at Timberlake. And late one afternoon that summer, I found myself on the east side of a scutney, part of a small group of campers and a couple of counselors. Our plan was to hike up a scutney and then using maps and compass Spend roughly five days bushwhacking back to Plymouth. You know, back then, Vermont was a lot less developed, with fewer homes, more farms, and lots of untouched forests. The hike seemed both doable and exciting. And late one afternoon, might have been the third day, I'm not sure, we stumbled across a most peculiar sight In the middle of a deep forest, We came across a four corners where four old roads came together, and I mean old roads. Fallen trees littered them, plants and weeds had grown up upon them. The roads clearly hadn't been used for years, maybe decades, and indeed they they seemed to peter out uh, as they uh, disappeared, meandered into the woods. Uh, There were a few old dilapidated structures along the roads. One looked like it might have been a shed, another perhaps a small barn. On the side of one road, there was what appeared to be a house. It had a collapsed porch, cracked windows with fraying curtains, and a roof that was partially caved in. It was obviously uninhabitable. No one could have lived there for years. We were interested. So we walked up to a cracked window and one by one peered through the frayed curtains. The house was dark, and it took our eyes a few minutes to adjust to the lack of light. The first few campers who peered in suddenly tensed and stepped back. The color drained from their faces. They said nothing, as if they had seen a ghost. I'll never forget what I saw when it was my turn to look through the window. Attached to the ceiling, sloping ceiling, was a beautiful glass chandelier. It hung over a large dining room table surrounded by old leather chairs. In places, some of the floorboards had rotted out, tilting some of the chairs. I was surprised to see such a beautiful chandelier in such a dilapidated structure. Even more surprising, The table was beautifully set. There was what looked like the remnants of a fine linen tablecloth, faded, spotted, torn. Two large candelabras graced the table. Several large serving platters were placed in the middle. Eight places were elegantly set with fine china. Each place had a perfectly folded napkin with silverware arranged as in the finest restaurant at each place was a crystal wine glass. Like the campers who peered through the window before me, the color drained from my face. The house clearly hadn't been used for years. Who then set such an elegant table? How had the setting lasted for so many years? Why hadn't anyone removed any of the very valuable settings? Without saying a word, we each grabbed our packs and walked away from the four corners as fast as we could, cautiously looking behind us in case we were being followed. No one spoke for several minutes. After a quarter of an hour or so of brisk walking, we stopped to catch our breath. We saw no trace of being followed. <laughs> we were very glad we hadn't disturbed any of the settings of the elegant dinner party. It's been more than 50 years since that summer afternoon. And I've often thought about trying to find that house again. In retrospect, I'm very glad I didn't.
0: Once again, big thanks to our friends at VPR and producer Anna Van Dyne for helping us celebrate our favorite holiday this year. And especially thanks to Susanna, Tony, Liz, and Jerry for sharing their stories with us. We received more stories than we could fit in this episode. If you'd like to hear more, there are a few extras posted in the show notes, along with some other Halloween treats. You can find all this at www.vtfolklife.org untapped. This episode of Vermont Untapped has been made possible in part by the National Endowment for the Arts. It was produced by me, Mary Wesley. Our executive producer, who also happens to be the VFC archivist, is Andy Kolovos. The cello music in this show was recorded by Dave Hoy. Thanks for listening, and have a safe and spooky Halloween.